Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, February 25th, 2024. Today's sermon will be from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Matthew chapter 16, continuing preaching through, and I actually have this sermon and two more now, so we'll, we're going to keep going through this passage. But Matthew 16, 18, I'm not going to read the whole passage today as we've been reading it every week, but I'm going to read verse 18. Jesus tells Peter and the disciples, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Those are, those are the words we are focusing on this morning. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. You're going to hear that a number of times now in the sermon. But this short sentence, I will build my church, is packed. Really, that is the story of the Bible. That's it. If you want to sum up the Bible in one sentence, you could do it this way. I will build my church. And so, with this in mind, these words before us, what I want to do in, in two sermons particularly, one sermon this week and then, and then the next one that will follow, <clears throat> is break it down into three parts, this sentence. First part, what is the building? In other words, what is, what is Christ building? So that'll be truth number one. And then we're going to look at who does the building. And that's all we're going to get to today. Uh, who does the building and then some applications. Next week, or if, I think Gil's preaching next week for the Lord's Supper when he comes home doing missions. But the week after that, we're going to look at the means that Christ uses to build his church. But for today, the building, number one. Number two, who does the building? So let's begin. What is this building? Jesus says, I will build my church. So I think we should begin with the term church for just a few minutes to see what Jesus is building. It's interesting that this is the first time in our English Bible that we see the word church. This is it. It's the first time. It is found only in the Gospel of Matthew, but more than 70 times in Acts and in the letters of Paul and in Revelation, it is found. And, and so it literally means, when you think about the word church, it means gathering or assembly. And so we are gathering, but the important thing, who is gathering? We are gathering. People gather. Men and women and boys and girls, we gather together. We often think of the church as a physical building. And you might hear somebody say, use some Old Testament language and say, we have come, even in what you prayed this morning, we have come into this house or come into this temple. I don't like to say that because this is a building. However, I guess from some perspective we might say that, but we are always referring to this coming together as coming together to gather, to assemble as God's people. And so, in every case, in all the Bible, God is building a specific people. 
And we come together with a specific purpose. And, and if we, we think about this people, in every case, God is building a people that is distinguished or divided from the rest of the peoples of the world. We are the only ones that do this in the world. And so God is gathering out from all of the peoples in the world. He is delineating a particular people, those who are special, those who are different from the rest of the people of this world. And so when we think of the word church, when you go through and you read it in the New Testament, over, like I say, over 70 times, sometimes the word church, when you read it, refers to the whole church throughout the world. We see that a few times in the New Testament. Sometimes you see the word church and it refers to a particular area of the world. Um, you know, the, the church in in, in different places like Corinth or Athens or, you know, wherever. And so you see it in a particular area. Other times, and probably the most frequent way the word church is used in the New Testament, though, refers to a specific people meeting in a specific place, even a house. So that is what we are doing today. We are meeting specifically at the South Carolina YMCA as the church, as God's people. And so most of Paul's letters are addressed to specific churches. So from this very broad perspective, God has always been building his church. Right from the beginning, if you pick up, right from the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, God has been building his church, a people. We are here today because God has promised to build his church. That's what I'm going to be speaking about. We are the church of God, we might say. And we, along with scores of other churches, we make up the full church of God. And this, again, is a particular people. And God will be building His people until He comes back. Until the, what we would call the, that end, okay? He's building his church. Look with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Verse 9 and 10. Peter says, But you, this is the people of God, the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, that's all I really wanted to say there. When we look at the, this, these words of Jesus, I will build my church, we need to know, Church is a people that gathers specifically with a specific purpose. So that's truth number one. Let's move on to number two. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time with applications. Who builds this building? Who builds this church? Who builds this people? Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, in a world where 
pronouns are being misused horribly. If we look at verse 18 here, we have two pronouns in these few words. And they are, Jesus says, I will build my church. So, Jesus today is the builder of the church. It belongs to him. Now, this is an amazing statement for Jesus to make to Peter and to the disciples at that particular time. But before considering how everything shifts to Jesus building his church, let's go back for just a few minutes to the Old Testament. And let's go through a story and show, I want to show you that God has been building his church from the beginning. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we know what happened. Adam and Eve fell. Death and sin came into the world. And what does God do? He makes a promise. And if you remember the story there in Genesis 3, he speaks to the woman, he speaks to the man, he speaks to Satan. Well, when he speaks to Satan... Adam and Eve are there, I'm sure, listening in on this. Here's what God says to Satan. He says, this is verse chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. So do you see it? He's dividing out. And then he says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we'll come to that a little bit later. But in this promise, we see a distinction, a dividing between Satan and his offspring, his also translated seed, his offspring. We see a, a, a difference between Satan and his offspring and the woman and her offspring. And so in this promise, really clearly, we see... That God is distinguishing two peoples. The offspring of the woman and the offspring of Satan. Now, there is a lot here. And there have been lots of books and theologies written on this topic. But I want to I be kind of general. But in this promise, Genesis 3.15, we see that God will build a particular people. So, what does this look like in the Old Testament? You, you should be... You should be familiar with this because we just went through Hebrews 11 not too long ago. But let's begin with Cain and Abel. Two brothers, Adam and Eve's boys. Well, Cain, he does not obey God and he brings a sacrifice to God of his own choosing. And he does this and Hebrews 11 says he doesn't have faith. So he brings a sacrifice, does it his own way. He's not a man who obeys God and he is not a man who has faith. But what does Abel do? Abel brings his sacrifice, one that God had prescribed, and he brings it by faith. And then what happens? Cain kills his brother, and God punishes Cain and banishes him away from his presence. That's Genesis 4. So here we see one man, Abel, with faith, another man, Cain, Without faith. And there is a distinction. There is the offspring of Satan. The offspring of the woman. And we'll, hopefully this will make more sense as we keep going. 
later, after Cain kills Abel, Cain is banished. They have another son. You remember his name? Seth. And she says, Eve says, she's very excited because Abel is gone, the man of faith. We don't know exactly everything that was going on there in that family. But she says, God has appointed for me another offspring. Same word in the Hebrew. Another offspring instead of Abel. And so from the line of Seth, we see God keeping his promise. Because at that particular time, Genesis 4, we read, People then began again to call upon the name of the Lord. So there's something associated with Seth and people calling upon the name of the Lord. So there's a distinction okay, between the people of the woman and the people of Satan. So throughout the Old Testament, we see this separation between the offspring of God and the offspring of Satan. And this separation continues. Come to Noah. You remember with Noah? And as Noah sins greatly, but he is a man of faith. And then we see his sons. One of them, Ham, is cursed, whereas the other two sons, Japheth and Seth, they are, they are blessed. And so there is a distinction there. Later, we see this promise carried out with Abraham. Do you remember his son? First son was what? Would have been, that, that spoken of would have been Ishmael, right? Who was the other one? Son of the promise, Isaac. Ishmael is kind of like Cain. He's sent off. We see a delineation. Isaac is the one of promise. And so we see a difference between the people of God and the people of Satan, those who have faith and those who do not have faith. If we continue, you remember Jacob and Esau? Romans 9. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. We see that distinction between the two peoples of God. And though, as we continue, we could keep going, but let's move to the nation of Israel itself. Beginning in Egypt and carried through the promised land. Even as they sin and they go through all the ups and downs. Well, God in Egypt, He distinguishes His people, Israel, from Egypt. And then later, He will distinguish His people from the rest of the peoples in, in the land of Canaan. And so God, what is He doing? He's doing exactly what He said from Genesis 3.15, that <clears throat> this is what will happen. There will be a, an offspring here, and there will be another offspring. Well, I'm going to keep this one, but there's going to be a difference between the two peoples. I think about Israel as they, during Isaiah's time, the Assyrian armies were coming down, and the northern kingdom had already been taken. And the southern kingdom was yet to be taken, but they were sinning. They were worshiping idols. They were, they were running away from God. They were not following God's commandments. And so Isaiah is prophesying, and he's telling them, come back to God. Don't worship idols. But he's also telling them what's going to happen. But in the midst of all that sin, some of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Isaiah 41, verses 8 to 10. This is what God says to Israel. From the, through the words of Isaiah. He says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth, and I called you from the furthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. 
I have chosen you and I have not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Don't, don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you see what God is doing? He is building His church. And we see it very clearly. He's keeping His church in the Old Testament. Now, let's stop there and let's move forward. And let's come to Matthew 16. And Jesus says... I will build my church. Let's think about this for a moment. So I want you to think with me. Just pause for a moment and think about that statement. Now, Peter, the disciples, they were, they were Jewish men. They would have grown up in the Jewish religion. They would have grown up in a time when, when the, the Old Testament, particularly the Torah, was read, the prophets were read, they would have known that promise back in Genesis 3.15. And they knew that God was keeping Israel. And they knew that God was keeping and building His people, His church. They knew that. And then, all of a sudden, Matthew 16, some time into Jesus' ministry before He's getting ready to go to the cross... Standing in front of them is a man. A man. And this man was not a man of great means. He was a carpenter from, we might say, from their neck of the woods. He, today he would have been from somewhere like Cleveland or Landis or even China Grover, who knows, Rockwell, I don't know. Somewhere like that. And he was a carpenter. And he was from the country. And he spoke. Aramaic, and there he was standing in front of them. And he says to them, I will build my church. So can you imagine those guys, those disciples, those apostles, knowing all the promises of God, knowing all of what I just shared from Genesis 3.15, and God making his promise to build his church, and they knew all that, and all of a sudden there's a man standing before them who says, I will build my church. This is amazing. There's probably no statements like it in all the Bible. So with that statement, do you see the claim that Jesus is making? It's as if, as if Jesus was saying to his disciples, he's looking back, it's as if he made the promise back in Genesis 3. Who made the promise? God made the promise. And here's this man standing in front of them. And he says, now I will make my church. I will build my church. If he were merely a man, what kind of blasphemy would that be? To, to put himself on par with the God who made that promise and say, I'm the one who will build my church. <laughs> well, we know that Jesus did make that promise. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 to 20. Listen to these words. I probably quote these more than anything in my sermons. We talked about this last night at the house. He is the image of the invisible God. This is our Lord. This is the one who makes this promise here. That I will build my church. He is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. 
in heaven and on the earth, whether they be visible or invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be supreme or preeminent. For in Him, listen at this, in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now look over with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. We were there not too far along ago. You might remember chapter 3 a little bit. But in verses 1 to 6, the writer of the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, he is comparing Jesus with Moses. And in these verses, Moses is just a part of the house. Moses is described as being a part of the house. He's, he's part of the building that God is building. But in these, this passage, who is the builder of the house? Well, look at verse 3. It is Jesus. For Jesus has been counted worth of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. He's saying Jesus is the one who is the builder of his house. Verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. It's like a contractor. The contractor is in charge of building the entire process, gathering the electricians, the plumbers, the engineers, the architects, everything that needs to take place. The contractor is in charge of building and make sure the building gets built. And then verse 5, though, now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So in all of the Old Testament, in all the Old Covenants, we never see any prophet make such a statement like the one the Lord, our Lord Jesus made in uh, Matthew 16. And so it's always, always God who builds, okay? We know that. But it is still the same in the New Covenant. God is the builder, but this honor and this glory, though it still belongs to God, shifts to the Son. Why is this? Think about this. This is a little, little deeper, guys. Think with me on this one for just a minute. All of this honor and glory shifts to the Son. Why is this? It's because of the Incarnation. What is the Incarnation. Jesus was born, okay? Flesh. God takes on flesh. Think back to Genesis 3.15 with me now. God promises that one will come from the offspring of the woman. One who, whose heel will be bruised. <laughs> and so think about it with me. God is, from our catechism, God is spirit. So in His essence... Does God have flesh and blood? No, He does not. In His essence, who He is, in His being alone, 
he could never be the offspring of a woman in the, in the, in the narrow sense. So in this promise in Genesis 3.15, we see the most remarkable thing. We see a physical deliverer coming. And then, the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. So Jesus, the Son of God, takes on flesh. He is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born, He's there in the womb of Mary, a woman. And in, his, in her womb, He grows, and He is born. And as He, as he grows, as a young boy, and as, as He lives out His life, what does He do? He obeys the law of God perfectly. In his heart, he loves God, and in his actions, everything he does is right. Everything. And then, when he's 33 years old, what does he do? This is why we are here today. He lays down his life as a sacrifice. The sacrifice to fulfill all of the Old Testament promises of God when God says, I will build my church. And he lays down his life. And so we go back to Genesis 3.15. Jesus lays down his life on the cross. That is a picture of him bruising his heel. But what does he do three days later? He rose from the dead. And by rising from the dead and conquering death, he crushes the head of Satan and the, the enemy. He, he crushes death because death could not hold him. And in his death and his resurrection, Satan is crushed. And this is why, when he comes to Matthew 16, he's looking forward to the cross. This is why he can say to Peter and to the disciples and to us, I will build my church. The incarnation, the greatest mystery, much greater than the Trinity. We've got one person, two natures. And one, that is, it's absolutely mine. We can't even, can't even comprehend it. And he says to Peter, I will build my church because of this. And so, this is what Jesus is doing today until he comes back. Jesus is building his church. Now, next sermon I'm going to preach is what means does he use to build his church? But with, with those two truths, what is the church, what is the building... And then two, who builds it? Now I'm going to end today with some applications for us. First application. Since Jesus is building His church, that means that the church in itself as an institution does not belong, from one perspective, does not belong to us. It belongs to Him. We are only stewards. And yes, we are fellow builders. We are building as well as we go out. What do you do when you go out and you tell your neighbors about Jesus? And you tell your coworkers, And you, you tell your brothers and sisters and parents as you bring your kids up to trust in, in, in Christ. What are you doing? You're giving them the word. And they hear and they understand and they believe. And so we are. We are builders in this church. But it does not belong to us. And yes, we, by the Spirit, we are the church. But again, the church does not belong to us. That means that we can't just do what we want with the church. 
we can't just come together and sing some songs, see how folks are doing, give some good words for the day, listen to the news possibly, throw in a little bit of religion, whatever. We, since the church belongs to him, we must do what he tells us to do. And he will, we're going to go we'll hit that a lot in the next sermon, but he tells us exactly what to do. That's why when we come together, we listen to the word preached. We sing songs, hymns and songs, spiritual songs, and we pray together and we give and we send out missionaries. This is what we do together because we are following his instructions. So that's one application. The church does not belong to us. The next application is, I already mentioned it, we must live under the rules of the builder. Listen to our own church confession concerning the church. Here's our confession. Of a gospel church, we believe that a visible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in, in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. Observing the ordinances of Christ. And then this part's very clear to us. Governed by His laws. That's us. Governed by His laws. And exercising the gifts, the rights, and the privileges invested in us by His Word. So we live today by the Word of God. And we must not ever deviate from it in the way that we gather, in the way that we practice church, and in the, thing, the things that we do as a church. And I would take that even further. As families, what do you do? You go by the Word, and you teach your kids and your grandkids and those around you the Word. And the further we deviate from the Word and the power of the Gospel given in the Word, then the, fur, the more we sin and the more we move away from God. And so... We live under the rules of the builder. Another application. If you are a Christian today, you're part of the church that God is building, then you live, we live, by the power given to us by the builder. Now, this is, we know this. Christ has given us whom? The Holy Spirit. In the New Covenant, because of the person and work of Christ, all of those who make up the church are given the Holy Spirit. All of them. This is why we often live very contrary than those around us. Because you think about the, the, the two peoples in the world, the offspring of Satan, the offspring of the woman. They think very differently. You can go back to Cain and Abel. You can go back to Jacob and Esau. You can go back to Isaac and Ishmael. All of these very different ways. I mean, just, I won't go into names, but how many things are coming up in our culture that our culture is demanding of us to do? For example, attending a homosexual wedding. But as Christians, we may have to say, I can't do that. Now, I love you, and I want to be in your life. But we believe that is wrong. We believe that is a sin against God. And so that's just one example or, you know, we, we shared this this morning in our, in, in our class. If, if, if a hospital says to you that you must perform an abortion to be a doctor or a nurse, what would we say as Christians? 
Or if we were going to euthanize someone, what would we say? We have to think through such things. But there is a difference. That is why we think differently. We must obey, as hard as it is, even the consequences that will follow. And, and we know that. And, and I think, you know, throughout history, the Christian church, persecution comes and goes. There's times of peace. There are times of great persecution. Um, but it seems more and more, even in our country, we've been in a great time of peace. But now there are more and more things that are contrary to the Word of God in the way that folks live and the decisions that are made. And so, so we must live according to the Word. And, it is, and it's hard. And, and so we are given, now let me back to my point, we do this. Because we've been given the power to do that. We've been given the power by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, and I would even say, too, that is why our desires are different. When I first became a Christian, back in the late 80s in, at Appalachian State, I was running one way, partying, doing what I wanted, not going to church, not hanging out with God's people. And then God sent someone my way. I heard the word. I believed the word, and then you know what happened? I changed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. I changed. God gave me power to be different. Now, I still went running that way because my habits were that way. But after that, conviction came into my heart, and I couldn't keep doing it. And so God was changing me. And I would say that in the way we're living our lives in our marriages, in the way we raise our kids, if we, are, if we are new believers in things, what will we do? Or if we're hearing new things for the first time, if we have the Holy Spirit, then our desires will be different and we will do things accordingly. But we live by the power that God has given us, that Christ has given us. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Very important words. As he's preaching there, and he's also showing a distinction between the world and Christians. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand. And, and the things, we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And listen to this verse. The natural person does not accept the things from the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So let's say one person in the family becomes a believer. Say it's, it's the wife. The husband's not a believer. What kind of conflicts then come that way? Many of us, many of you have been in that. And you know people that have been in such situations. How differently would the spouse from the other spouse view the things of the Bible? How would they view raising kids? How would they view what they do in their workplace? What they listen to? What they, what they watch? What they laugh at? 
Everything changes. And we know that to be true. Because the natural person doesn't receive the things from the Spirit of God. And it seems to me in our culture, going back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the Bible Belt, at least when it came to morality, and even in our country, when it came to morality, we were all kind of on the same page, so we all felt together. Well, that has changed tremendously. And so, at the end of the day, you will know a Christian by their fruit. And again, I say this often. Who you are in your home is who you are. And your parents and your kids and your siblings know that. And so that's great accountability for us. But it's also, if you see that you are, you know, I might call myself a Christian. I might like Christian things, um, whatever it is. But you know in your heart, you, you still love the world and the things of this world. And that's what you want to do. And I would say, then you're not a Christian. And I would say to you, repent and look unto Christ and turn and be saved. As I was many years ago, and as many in this room were, look unto Him and be saved. Another application, though. Let's keep moving. Another application. This building that God is building, who now Christ says, I will build my church, it will be finished one day. The process is going on now. I think if you've been downtown Kannapolis, you've seen the big, the big huge building they built with all the uh, apartment complexes. They've been, been there for a few, couple years now. they got one right beside it. Chris and I are like, what's going on? Nobody's here and they're not working. Well, the past three or four weeks, I haven't seen anybody working there on that building because probably, we don't know, we could ask city management or whoever, but somebody knows, there's probably money has run out for now or they've moved on to another project for now and then they will come back. Um, often when we lived in, in, in Africa and other places, something would get started, money would run out, it would sit forever. But you know what? It is not so with the building of the church. The building of the church will be finished. It has been started and it will be finished. And our text says, if you go down to the end of verse 18, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. <clears throat> Caleb, if you want to pull up 3B there, we sang, a mighty fortress is our God. I can't imagine <clears throat> Martin Luther back in 1517 when he nailed the 95 Thesis to the, to the door in Wittenberg, and he started that process of coming against the religious system of all of his neighbors and all of his co-workers and all the priests and all of the church and all of the countries in that area of the world. And there he was. And he writes this song, this hymn, at some point. And my favorite line is, One little word shall fail him like you like you fail a tree you cut down you cut down the tree one little word now it is a little word <laughs> we might think back to what i've been talking about this this word is jesus the power of the gospel but it is a little word because jesus he was a man but he was also god Colossians 2 verse 9 says that in Him all of the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Let me say that again because that is it's an amazing statement. He's the one we follow today as Christians. 
In him, whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So in his person and in his name, we find in Christ today all of the promises of God. All of the wisdom of God. All of the treasures of God. And all of this because of the Son. Particularly the Son of Man who died on the cross. Who took, if you are a Christian today, took your punishment. He bore our sins. He rose again. So, one little word. This one little word is the builder of the church. And he's not only the builder. He is the foundation, He is the life, He is the help, He is the sustainer, you name it. We could, put, we could just fill in the blank of what Christ is for His church. So, with that in mind, as a Christian today, speaking to Christians now, what are you going through? Are you discouraged? Maybe because of some sickness in your family? Maybe you've lost a loved one? Maybe someone you know is in the hospital and is not going to get out. Maybe you are discouraged. Maybe you're anxious. Are you anxious about money or what will happen with your job? Are you anxious about troubles or are you just anxious about everything? It seems to be what we see a lot in our culture. Are you concerned about what is going on in this world? I am. Are you fearful? Are you insecure about anything whatsoever? Are you struggling, Christian, with sin that you know you shouldn't be doing? Or sins of omission that you know you should be doing? I find particularly I'm in that second boat. Are you struggling and you know you want to put it to death? And you know you want to replace something that that sin with something that is good and righteous? Are you struggling with sin? Do you feel these things are too great? Well, whatever it is, everything I have just described and all of my questions I'm asking, asking you, in our sermon today, you can find great hope and great help that Jesus is building His church. And you are His church. You are His people. And concerning struggling with sin... Who's covered our sins? What, what do we sing? His mercy is more. Though our sins are great, His mercy is more. There's no greater peace to be found in this world to know that an angry, holy, wrathful God who will judge sin has judged someone else on your behalf. And that is the cross as Christians. So, one more very quick application and then I will close us out this morning. Um, and I guess this kind of goes along um, with what I've already said. <clears throat> Since this, the church is being built, it is in process. And so it will come one day. This means <clears throat> when we look at our own lives, that the Christian life is not so much a sprint. It is a, it is a marathon. So you might be at mile two, and you're just sprinting along, and you're going to get tired at mile three or whatever. You might be at mile 14, and you are more discouraged than you ever thought you'd ever be in your life, and you know you got 26.2 to go. That's what the Christian life is. And so I would say to you, 
based upon the fact that Christ is building His church and He's given us the manual of what we should live by and He's given us the power to live it, that I would say to you, be encouraged today. Press on with whatever is going on in your life and trust Christ. Trust Him greatly. Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not, shall not prevail. Again, this summary or this statement is a summary of the entire Bible. This is what God is doing. So somebody might ask you, what is God doing in this world? That's what the Bible says. He is building His church. He's building His people. And so Genesis 3.15, let's go back there. Just I'm going to read it one more time. I will put enmity between you and the woman, <clears throat> between you, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Today we find this fulfillment in these words. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So again, with his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, as God's people today, with all these things in light, Christ is building his church and we are victorious. So let me end with some words from from the Apostle John, from, from the book of Revelation and the book of First John. And then we will be dismissed. Listen to these words. Great applications. John fell down. This is in his vision of Revelation. He said, when I saw him, who did he see? He saw the Lord Jesus in heaven. And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though he were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks when he gives the keys to the church. And then in 1 John, he says this, chapter 4, Little children, <clears throat> You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What beautiful words for me and for you and for us this morning. What beautiful truths, particularly the truth, I will build my church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this time again, this day, and these words as we come together as your church. And we are here to, to worship you and to lift your name up. And we're also here to hear from you as we have heard today. As Jesus says to us, I will build my church. And that's what, exactly what he is doing. And we are just waiting for him to do so. And we are taking our part by your grace according to your word and by your power. I pray that you'd help us this week in all that we do, that we might take these words to heart, they might be encouraging, convicting to us. If someone is not a Christian, may they turn to Christ today, even now where they sit, and be saved. So we give you this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church 
China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.